Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be talking about Entitled Women, which is basically any time that a book is about a woman, but it is referring to her by something other than her name. Um, so we're talking about Miss, Mrs., Bride, wife, <laughs> sister, girl. girl, yeah, whatever. Uh, I was thinking about these books. I started reading uh, Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll, which they are making, I think they're doing a limited series of it. I follow her on Instagram and she's talking about, you know, she's talking about how exciting it's been to work on the script and to meet people and like doing a table read and seeing it come alive. So it just got me to thinking about those books again. And I have to admit that I kind of wrongly thought, it was like, I don't know if I've been seeing those books as much. And then when I went like on Goodreads and looked at just briefly at the books that I've marked that I want to read and they are there in force. So (laughs) maybe I haven't been paying attention to them, you know, or thinking about them in that way lately. But just like I said, just following her, picking up this book to read it. And also um, Woman in the Window just came out, which I had hoped I was going to be able to watch before the show. Uh, But I was out yesterday and and did not. (laughs) I've heard um, not that good. Yeah, it was having issues. Um, I think even before the pandemic, they had done a bunch of things like tested it with some audience, uh, with some audiences, weren't getting good feedback, twiddled around with it. Then I think it went from, they were going to release it in the theater. They pushed it back. Uh, now it's on Netflix and I think Netflix bought it out from a studio just to, you know, just to rush it to people at home. And of course, there's probably enough people who read the book who want to see what it's all about. Uh, I'm curious. Like, I haven't read if how involved he was, especially after that mm-hmm. article. I think it was in New York Magazine just about how terrible he is. Um, I think he has another book coming out too, which might be another uh, book that would fit our category. I have to look that up. So. I just gave a whole bunch of general thoughts about this. Gail, what do you think? You know, it's funny. I When I went to look through the books I've read and I was looking at girl, wife, misses, you know, type sister type books. And I had thought that it would fit into this kind of vein of like anonymizing the woman a little bit or degrading her somehow. Because, you know, you and I have talked about this for a while. We've kind of rolled our eyes at the, like, trope of the title with the girl in it and how it, you know, seemed to make the woman, like, less, um, I don't know. It seemed to take away some of her power in some ways. She's always a type, right? A type, right. But then as I looked at the books that I've read with that in the title, it didn't didn't come through. Like, that, that did not hold true for me. And maybe that's the books that I pick. Like, maybe... 
it's well, you more went like for the best, right? I did go for the best. I go went for the ones that I liked the most. Um, but just in general, maybe I don't gravitate towards the books in which the women lose their power somewhat because maybe they're more thrillers and that's, you know, not my usual, um, genre. I don't know. It was, I was actually like sort of surprised to see how much I actually liked the book with that in the title. I think, um, I do think we need to mention that a lot of the times when you have that type of title, it does go hand in hand with a certain type of cover, which is one that you and I have decried for a while. It's always the woman seen from the back. You don't see her face. She's looking off somewhere. She's on her own, sometimes carrying a suitcase. <laughs> like, you know, that seems to further like take away her identity um, when they, they have that cover. And I mean, if the trend of the girl type, the girl mother Mrs. Title may be waning. The the trend of that type of cover is definitely not because we've been sending him back and forth to each other for a while. Well, and I think to some of those titles with woman, girl, a lot of them, or I would say a good portion of them, tend to be historical fiction too. Yes, that is there is a, a certain historical fiction title that just I just immediately roll my eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Often Uh, World War II. Don't get me started on the World War II covers with the suitcase and the small child. And the small child, or she becomes a nurse or, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, that it just, I'm, I'm amazed. There's so many amazing book covers right now, like just beautiful covers. And you look at them and it's like, I keep thinking, wow, like book covers have really evolved over the years to like a work of art. And then I'm like, why, when there's so much creativity out there, do some publishers resort to this thing? I mean, I guess it sells this type of cover with the woman looking off, but like, it's an immediate turnoff for me. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the... uh involved in the book process is is not just the author there are the whole host of people who are examining trends and what will sell and you know what books that they plan to plant on the shelves at a certain eye level in the bookstore uh i've heard that sales reps will often ask for a cover to like they will want sometimes the lettering to be like the most prominent thing, they're looking at what is going to catch your eye when you walk in the store. So in a sense, sometimes they are competitive in a way. Uh, or, so you think the booksellers drive it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've definitely heard about um, sales meetings where it's just like, we want this title to be bigger or we want, you know, there's certain things, I guess in a crowded feel, it makes it, it makes sense. You know, you walk into a bookstore, you see that cover, you know, it, you already have a feeling that you know exactly what that book is about. And if that's what you want to read, then you go for it. And I've read lots of those books and lots of them are really good. I'm not saying that. It's just, it's almost like I've just seen that so much and it's so cliche that I'm just um, I just get fatigued 
yeah. by oh, then. Yeah. Yes. Uh, before I could even get go over and check it out. So now I feel like at this point it needs there needs to be something extra about that cover. Either I've read the author or for whatever reason I just can't resist and I pick up the jacket and it's something that I really want to read. But otherwise I feel like sometimes they take away from that. I mean, all covers, I think literary fiction usually have a lot of the exotic lush colors that tell you that it's literary fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would even go so far from covers that I've looked like looked at that you can tell at a glance whether that author will be a woman of color or not. Like I've had this mm-hmm. conversation with friends and she did not agree. And I was just like... Well, she worked in the publishing industry. So one, I thought she was just trying to, or she was just, she wasn't noticing it. And I think she was giving them more credit for something. It's just like, no, I feel like there are certain books that I just know it's going to be an author of color because of the colors. The colors. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think you can tell. So that's a show that I would love to have. I know we've kind of discussed it back and forth. I think we've held off on it just because, you know, a lot of our observations are just observations and anecdotal. So it'd be fun to do some research and then kind of talk about some things. But those are just like offhand things that I know um, drive marketing meetings that they have around books. Why? debut authors in particular really don't have much say in their cover. Like I think they're kind of given some choices and are happy to go along with something happy if uh, the author gets it right. Cause I do think, you know, they are consulted or whatever, but there are certain things that I think are driving things. And just like many other things that you just don't get to have much of a say until you've established your name more. All right. So we have jumped into quite a bit of a discussion, but so before we get to those books, Gail, like, what have you been reading? Like, what, what did you just finish? What are you about to read now? It has your blow by blow by blow dry, <laughs> blow dry book. book. Yeah. Um, all the questions, all the questions. Okay. So the book that I finished most recently is actually a book that you and I have chosen for our next book club read. So it's called good neighbors by Sarah Langan. And I finished that last week and I'm going to hold my discussion on that until we, uh, until you've had a chance to read it and then we can talk about it together. Okay. So, so I'm about a quarter of the way through yay or nay though. Just, do you I'm like gonna, it? I'm going to hold off. Oh, you're going to hold off. Sounds like it off. might be a juicy discussion. Yeah, it might. Um, I'll hold off. So that is, um, I'm also reading two other books. So for my book club, my in real life book club, I'm reading finally the ensemble by, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Aja Gabel. Gable. And this is a book that follows four musicians that form a string quartet um, over the years. So we're still in kind of early days with them. And um, so far I like it. And I'm also reading a uh, book of the month, my book of the month pick from last month. And it's really good, but for some reason it's taking me forever to get through it because I've actually devoted a fair amount of time to it. And that is called uh, What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. And I really like it a lot. Um, it's just slow. So I don't have a whole lot of reading to report. Okay. 
I kind of feel that way about the final revival of Opal and Ev. Like I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know why the last quarter has gotten, it's like slowed down. Like it's still so good. And I like uh, what the author is exploring and, you know, the characters are great, but I don't know why it's taking me a little bit to get through it. Like you said, not that I don't like it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't is know. It, how is the, um, oral history style? <clears throat> I like it. Um, I feel like, like I said, in, in the comparison to da- Daisy Jones and the six, they are both told in a, like, this is happening in a format, like a retrospective, retrospective of this band. Unlike Daisy Jones and the six, I think this has like, it's more of a mystery, uh, that, well, I guess in some ways Daisy Jones was a mystery too, just like the unfolding of what happened. Like this rock band in this novel, they don't stay together for very long. I think they only record two albums together and they are majorly affected by an event that happens at one of the concerts that they hold in their early days. And uh, the daughter of the drummer is the one who has kind of made a name for herself and has just finally gotten to this place where she's the editor in chief of this magazine. And she finally has the agency and the sort of support from her publisher to tell this story, but she hits some snags along the way with it. So as much as it is an oral history, and I think the characterization is great, it's so much more in the sense that she really is looking to for answers to what happened to her father so long ago. Mm, okay. You know what else I started and I'm reading kind of slowly cause it's on my Kindle, but I really like it is whereabouts by Jhumpa Lahiri. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I really like it. I mean, it's this really quiet story. It's about this woman. Um, it looks like she may be middle age. Maybe she's like, in her late forties or 50. And it's just about places that she goes in her day, just told in that inimitable Jubilahiri style with just the the poignant details or whatever. You know, like she'll talk about the market that she's been at or the man that she used to pass every day or helping out with a friend's child who is going to school in her part of town and just like meeting up for lunch with her. It's just, it's really beautiful. And it's on my Kindle. I know that I will buy a copy to have because I really like it. Nice. Okay. Good to hear. Yeah. I know you were a little bit hesitant about it because it's like, what is this about? (laughs) Right. Well, I had read that, that it was sort of, you know, didn't have much plot and. Right. um, But I love her writing so much. Yeah. So I think you'll, love that. I mean, and two, it's kind of nice to have these stories that don't have that much plot because, you know, life is a series of your whereabouts. Where are you? Um, Just things that you kind of experience, things that happen in your day that you might not necessarily expect who you run into, but just like the place that you are. I went out last night, which is why I sound a little bit hoarse, like probably the last time before New York really starts to open up. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see books that are starting to, that are written 
you know, the pandemic was its own time, but now I feel like we're in this transitional time where we're starting to be allowed to do like different things that we have not been for the last year. And I have such mixed feelings about it. Like there's just so many things that I haven't been able to done for a year, which now I'm kind of side-eyeing a little bit. Like you go out and, you know, we've been told that we are, you know, if you've gotten vaccinated, you can sort of let your guard down a little. But I don't know. I For myself, I will probably like, I went to this rooftop last night for drinks, but it was complete. It was open. So I feel like I will be sticking to outside activities. Yeah. For, I mean, it's the season to do it. Why not do it? I know some of my friends are like excited to be, oh, we can eat indoors. I'm like, nah, I don't want that um, Yeah. I think that uh, we went out to dinner last night too. And we went to a restaurant. We met another couple for dinner and we walked in and they were like, do you want inside or outside? And, you know, we could eat inside, right? That's like the, the directive that it's okay. We've been vaccinated, but we opted for a table that was technically inside, but it was up against the window and the wind, the, the whole thing was open. So it right. felt, you know, it was basically like sitting outside. outside. And I do, I think that's right. That like, it's going to take a long time to kind of trust that we can go inside. And that it's okay, even though, you know, that's what they're telling us. So I I think it's a good thing that we're emerging from this in the summer, like you said, because there is the option to be outside so much and that hopefully we can, you know, ease back into this. I did get my nails done inside, but it was a different experience because the nail salon was huge. There were only a couple of us in there. Like I went with my friend, our masks were on the entire time, but in terms of eating and talking, I'm a little wary of that right now. You know, we'll see yeah. how I feel in a month. <laughs> right, right. If the cases don't start spiking. I don't know why every electronic device in my apartment is <laughs> sending me alert right now. Because we're doing a podcast, so of course. Of course. Um, all right. Well, now that we've covered what we're reading, is there anything else you want to add to that? Nope. That's it for now. You know, some odds and ends here, like I'm listening to something, but I'm not far enough in that I'll even mention it. We can get to it next time. There's a lot of good books out. Did you by any chance tune into the um, speed dating yesterday? No, or is that no, on Friday? No, no. It was such a crazy day at work and I forgot about it. And then I tried to, I went back to look at the presentation and to look through some of the slides, but I was just exhausted. So yeah, didn't do that. was out Saturday. I think there are some things that I want to get to today, like probably seeing how terrible woman in the window is, checking <laughs> out the Underground Railroad, which is now out on Amazon right. uh, video as a limited series. So I have a little, I have some tasks for today. Yeah. Well, I think that that link will be open for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So you can take your time. Yeah. Um, I tuned in. And I found there were some books that I, I noted, um, some stuff that looked good. There was, you know, there's some stuff that there's a lot of historical fiction and then there are a fair number of thrillers and I tend to skip those, but, um, I, I saw maybe seven or eight books that I wanted to, you know, try to follow up on. So it was fun. Okay. 
Okay. So why don't we start talking about these girl women, alternately entitled women books? Okay. Why don't you go ahead and start? All right. So right now I'm reading Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. This came out a few years ago. Uh, She also wrote another book called The Favorite Sister. So um, this book has like a black rose on the cover. So there's no girl or woman looking off into the distance, very coy like this just lets you know that this is this is a book that's dealing with this, some serious issues. And it has this really strong character named Ani who has had something had something very traumatic happen to her in her past. And she is preparing to be on film for a documentary that is going to take a look back at that event that was so formative in her high school years. So she is preparing for it. Like her name used to be Tiffany, Tiffany Finelli. Like she has this really Italian name and roots. And she has like transformed herself to become like this thin blonde woman who is like marrying into this old money family. Like she has just achieved all the things that she set out to achieve when she wanted to put her past behind her. And like make this transformation. And I feel like some revenge is definitely going to be coming up. There's some snags along the way, like she's uh, planning for her wedding at the same time. So she's put all this work into like being the right sort of woman. And, but they've just moved up the publication of this documentary and she has not lost the weight that she would like to lose. So there are some things like I'm usually not, I don't know. I don't know if I usually, I don't usually have books that I will say, oh, there's a trigger warning for this or whatever. I will say though, that because she is just so obsessed with how she's eating and what she's eating. And, you know, it seems like she is, uh, used to be a bulimic. And now that's back now that she's preparing for this documentary that, you know, I would steer clear of the, of this book. If you think that that would be you know, difficult for you. But like you mentioned, you know, even though she is a girl in this book, this, she's like a strong woman who I'm, you know, curious to see how her life is gonna, how this documentary and her marriage and, and all these things are going to turn out for her because, uh, after what has happened to her, like, even she questions like some of the things that she wants because I think she wants a much edgier life. So this is definitely someone who has edge and agency. Okay. Agency. That's such an interesting word. And one that I think goes against what you think when you think of these titles with girl, like that. I think when I was talking about power or identity before, I think what I was really getting at was agency. And I like that you just used that one. So it's nice that this book bucks the trend of removing the woman's agency, you know, through the story. Yeah, definitely get out of her way. She is just like this acerbic wit. <laughs> just like some of her sentences and some of her obs- observations are just so sharp. It's kind of like, ouch. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So my first girl book is Girl in Translation by Jean Kwok, which we, I know we've talked about on the show. We've had Jean on the show before. And this is a story about a, um, girl who immigrates from Hong Kong to New York 
when she's 11 years old and they're very, very poor. And she works in a sweatshop while she's going to school in Brooklyn. And it's about how she, you know, she's very smart and she ultimately gets a scholarship to an elite private school. And it's kind of about this double life that she's leading where she's trying to study and try to fit in with these rich kids. And yet she, her home life is such a different you know, world from that. And it's just all about the immigrant experience and about Kimberly. That's the main character. So, um, with this book again, I kind of, kind of like the one you just described, even though, you know, the title is girl in translation and it's, you know, this kind of anonymous, you know, she's just this figure who comes you know, one of many who come to the U.S. It is a deeply personal story based in many ways on the author's own experience. And um, you really get to know her and root for her and, you know, understand the complexity of her life. So this kind of jumped out at me first about as, you know, a, a worthwhile book with girl in the title. You read this one, right? I don't think so. Oh, you never read it. Oh, it's really good. I'm trying to think. I think I read Mambo in Chinatown. Right. And you read Searching for Sylvie Lee, I think, no? No, I didn't read Searching for Sylvie Lee. Okay. I think that's my favorite. Might have just read Mambo in Chinatown, but I've always wanted to read Girl in Translation. It also has a really beautiful cover. I can't believe I'm saying this because it's a girl (laughs) seen from the back. Looking off. Um, You can't see her. Like, no, she's looking straight ahead. Um, but she, I don't know. It's very, she's very elegant. The cover, I don't know. This is the cover that when I read it, but this, I read this in 2010. So they may have reissued it with different art. Actually, I'm going to look it up right now. See what the, uh, current cover is for the paperback of Girl in Translation. She has kind of like a, um, a stick through her bun that's holding her bun up. And I don't know, just this nice colors. I like, I just liked it a lot. Let's see. Is it, yeah, the same cover. Blue. Yep. Yeah, that, like a turquoise blue. When they hit their, when the cover remains the same in paperback, it usually meant that it sold well and it hit the market that it was supposed to. And it looked like it was probably going to sell again for book clubs because I think sometimes they tend to have more artistic covers when they first come out. And then if they don't sell well, or if they want to reach like a different audience, they will, you know, you have a a new shot with a new cover. Right. Yep. No, it looks like this is, I think I read this, I'm just looking at my shelf. I read this in hardcover and the paperback, it has the same title. So yeah, actually I take it back. It's not a stick through her her bun, it's a pencil, which I think is very symbolic of like, you know, academia and like working studying and working. So yeah, that's it. That's my first book. So my next one is Before She Disappeared by Lisa Gardner. And I had never read any Lisa Gardner, but this one is about uh, this middle-aged woman. There, There are hints of tragedy in her past that we really don't get a chance to know, but she volunteers to help people if someone has gone missing. Like she's not a police officer. She's not a private investigator. She just, for whatever reason, is paying for her sins. Um, yeah, paying for her sins that are hinted at. And by the 
the end of the novel, you have some idea of what it is, why she's constantly in motion and running. But she goes from town to town, helping out with these missing person cases, like, you know, gleaning as much information as she can. She'll move into the neighborhood, like where the person went missing. This one is set in Boston in Mattapan, and it is about a Haitian teenager who has disappeared from her high school. And she is looking, you know, like, of course, just because of who this teenager is, you know, she's not getting a lot of attention. And she is this middle-aged white woman. Of course, the response to everyone is like, why are you inserting yourself in this? You know, we don't need to be saved. She's willing to take all of that on. I think she finds a job in a bar in the neighborhood, you know, with just like this regular little room where she is rooming with this unfriendly little cat and she just gets to work. So it's all about what she does. I really like this book. Um, In this book, I would say the before she disappeared, the she is referring to women disappearing, which I feel like happens a lot with books, you know, just like there's someone who's missing or there's someone who is driving the action who is not present for either all of the book or for a good portion of the book. Um, You know, just kind of like finding the girl in trouble. But I thought she did a really thoughtful job with dealing with, you know, this white woman with her demons and why she is willing to uh, insert herself in different communities in order to bring about some good. So I really hope that they make this into a series because I thought she was an interesting character that it would be nice to see how she evolves, what cases she chooses, and just if she can ever forgive herself for, you know, for why she's basically punishing herself for such a Spartan existence. She reminds me of like the female Jack Reacher, you know, how he only has. I don't know if you've ever read a Jack Reacher novel or seen the movies, but he he travels really light. Like he has like one t-shirt, one pair of jeans. So she similarly travels really light. So another book, you know, and maybe it's because these books are by women. Um, and maybe these are because they are the ones that we're skewing towards with favorites. It's another like strong woman. and the girl in the title that she's looking for as you get to know her through the book, you know, she is also a teenager with agency, with strength, who's, who is, uh, doing something to kind of help her family before she goes missing. So, you know, I think we, when we did this show before, we did it with Catherine from Gilmore Guide to Books. And I think at the time, maybe the books were skewing to more cliche because I think we talked a lot about The Last Mrs. Parrish. Um, There were just like lots of books on those veins about like these kind of thrillery domestic suspense novels where something is really wrong or like something has happened to the first wife and now this is this new wife and, you know, like what is going on in that situation. And I think that the books that we were talking about then had much more of a revenge component. Not that some of these don't, but I think that they're, maybe they've gotten more nuanced as people continue, like as this, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a genre, but 
as these titles evolve, maybe the women themselves are taking upon themselves to make them more substantive. Um, Okay. So my next one is Girls in White Dresses by Jennifer Close. And this is a book about 20-somethings post-college, those kind of early years of independence and trying to figure out, you know, where you're going in life, what your friends are doing. People get married, people start, you know, progressing down the road to adulthood, maybe faster than you do. And all of that kind of unsettling feeling. Um, it's kind of, it's not a book for people who want a super detailed plot. It is got some pretty spare writing. The chapters are kind of vignettes that jump around in time. And there's a lot of, you know, action that is not mentioned or that's not discussed. It just sort of happens in between the chapters. Um, I really enjoyed this one. And, uh, you know, I, it just, I felt like she kind of really uh, captured that time of life very accurately. Um, She, the cover of this makes me laugh too, because it's also a faceless cover. It's a woman in a white dress holding up a bouquet. So she's, is she a bride? Is she a bridesmaid? It's kind of, she looks bridal, although it's a short dress. So it could also be a bridesmaid dress and she could be holding a bridesmaid's bouquet and the bouquet covers her face completely. So you have this faceless cover again, this time facing front, but um, I actually thought the cover was really good. I liked it a lot in the cover. I just checked the cover also survived from the hardcover to the paperback. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's really all about like being on the wedding circuit. Has Jennifer Close written a book lately? I feel like she you know, used to be good for one a year and I haven't heard from I, her. Yeah, I don't know if it was that frequent, but um, or every I was couple just years. thinking, yeah, I was just thinking that same thing. And I'm on her Amazon page and the books that I see are all, let's see, Girls in White Dresses, the smart one. The hopefuls. Okay, here's one called Things We Need. Let's see when that came out. To 2013. So that's not it. So no, I don't think she has. It's been a while. It has been a while. I would like another Jennifer Close book. So the next one I have is The Good Sister, which I read recently by Sally Hepworth, and I really liked it. Said I'm going to go back and read uh, the book that you recommended that she wrote before, which I think what was the good, <laughs> it was the oh, mother-in-law. The mother-in-law. Yeah. Mother-in-law, I think. So she likes those entitled women. Um, I really like the good sisters. I won't go into it that much just because I've you know discussed it recently on the show, but it is about these twins who, uh, One is neurodiverse and has a very protective, I don't even know if she's older, twin sister, who, yeah, I think she is older because the mom makes a big deal about her looking out for her. And she does, even though, um, even though probably the sister could be doing more for herself, but this is the dynamic between them. Her older sister cannot get pregnant. So the younger one decides that she's going to have a baby for her. And 
as this novel unfolds, we get a look at their childhood. There is a formative event in their childhood that is kind of reinforcing the boundaries and the relationship that they have with each other. And, you know, you really get to know each one of them and you have your suspicions about what their relationship is like, like what it's based on and who's really the good sister. Um, okay, so my next book is The Girls from Corona Del Mar by Rufy Thorpe, who is a recently discovered favorite author for me. Um, I really enjoy her. I read The Knockout Queen late last year and then picked up a book called The Girls from Corona Del Mar, which had been on my shelf for years. And it follows the friendship between two women um, from when they're in high school going into their adulthood. And like Rufy Thorpe's style, it's very dark. It's the, the title suggests something very different from what's inside the pages. Like you think, oh, the girls from Corona Del Mar, it sounds like kind of a breezy California, you know, we're going to read about these kind of like, you know, happy, potentially dramatic lives. But instead it's actually quite dark because one of their lives really does not turn out as expected. And a lot of sort of sad things happen to her. And the book is about their friendship over the years and how they kind of go in and out of touch with each other and and how things resolve for her, especially for the the one who has had the really tough life. So her books are kind of darkly funny. There's lots of, uh, you know, dark humor in it. And, and like you said, very sharp observations. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just, they're sad. There's a lot of sadness throughout that. And also the knockout queen, both of them. But I just really love how she writes. So next up on my list is Marie Benedict. Have you read anything by her? She she tends to write about forgotten women in history, usually people who were in the lives or in the periphery of the lives of famous men. She wrote The Other Einstein, uh, The Only Woman in the Room, Carnegie's Maid, and she wrote The Mystery of Mrs. Christie, which I just finished not too long ago. Now, that was an interesting book. That was the first book that she wrote where the woman was a powerhouse in her own right. And she dis- she talks about the disappearance of, of Agatha Christie because in 1926, she goes missing for 11 days. And so she delves into the research to bring alive those 11 days to see just what was going on right there. Like they had a troubled marriage. He was having an affair. Her mom had just died. You know, she really has to like a lot of the characters where the women have forgotten Agatha Christie kind of buried this part. So no, not many people know what happened. Like when she came back, she basically refused to talk about the days she was missing. She wrote an autobiography. Those days are not included. So it, she does an investigation into her life. You know, she read her autobiography and consulted other sources to see what might have been going on uh, at that time that she disappeared. And it's interesting the way she frames it because we know that her husband, uh, I believe his name is Archie, has received, he receives a letter from her and it's told in alternating parts like, 
his part through the story is the 11 days that she is missing and he is increasingly under suspicion because, you know, they find her car and it looks like she might've been the victim of foul play. And like, it's, you know, his uh, extramarital relationship is coming out, but it also goes back in time and starts when she first met Archie and first became his wife and takes a look at what their marriage was like, like what might have driven her to disappearing and how much is she involved? Like how much knowledge does she have of what she's doing? I guess, how much is she orchestrating this? Because also when they find her, she's found, she's been staying at this hotel, like under the name of um, his mistress. So none of this is like, I'm hoping this isn't spoilery. I mean, I think this is like a matter of public record. Uh, th- this time in her life is often thought about. So it was interesting to see what Marie Benedict chose to do with this. And I don't know, for some reason too, that kind of made it vaguely unsatisfying because it's not like we do have a basis, like there's lots of speculation. And uh, I don't know, the ending that she provided, I thought it was like a good lead up. It was interesting to read, but it was no means a fast paced book. Um, I did feel for her to be in this relationship, like how she has chosen this man to marry when really her family didn't want her to marry him and it did not turn out well. Like even though she kept the Christie name, she did remarry and I think she had a happier, a much happier experience. So on the one hand, it was like really hard to read about it, uh, how emotionally isolated she felt and all that she went through. But at the same time, you're also reading about a really privileged person. Um, so I had a mix of feelings while reading this is what I'll say. And wasn't on board a hundred percent with how she ended it, but it's definitely a story where the Mrs. in the book is like, is really a part of, I guess, driving some decisions in her life after maybe being a doormat for too long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, my next pick is His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Midi. I think you and I have both read this one. Um, and this is a story about a woman in Ghana who is set up to marry a man who is already involved with somebody else, but she marries him anyway. Her name is Afi. She marries him anyway, and she tries to win him over as his only wife. She wants to be, you know, the, the only woman that he's involved with. And yeah, he still has this relationship with this other woman and he is emotionally involved with both of them. And it's about how Afi deals with that in a, you know, in a society that doesn't usually give women lots of opportunities for independence. And, you know, she's expected to just accept the situation and it's about how she chooses to handle it. And I love this book and it's, I read it, you know, probably almost a year ago and it really stuck with me. It's just one of those books that that you get very engrossed in this story and you want to know how it comes out. So I, um, I really like this one. And I kind of like too that 
like we're talking about, you know, does using the word wife in the title sort of diminish the agency or the power of the woman? And that's kind of what this entire book is about, is like, what agency does Afi have and how can she use it to get what she wants out of life? My next one is That Kind of Mother by Ruman Alam. And this one is about the relationship that a woman has with um, her caregiver, her uh, the woman who eventually becomes her nanny, and she dies while she's working for this woman. So she adopts her child, and it is a mixed race adoption because the woman is a white woman and the nanny is black, and it's all about the dynamic uh, of of her privilege and raising this child. I think it was much more too though about the dynamics between the women, like uh, the mom, um, the woman who's, <laughs> this is so hard. Let me, let me look up their names just because I read this such a long time ago and it would be helpful if you, if I could you refer to them by name. Because if I can get them to Getting confusing, confusing even me. Okay, so Rebecca Stone is, a first time mom, she's having trouble. Um, she's having trouble when she's in the hospital getting her baby to latch. And she is just so excited when she finds someone that helps that she, you know, just basically steps in and with the hospital where she's been working and gets it so that this woman is able to become her nanny. And this woman is Priscilla. So Priscilla is black. She ends up pregnant. And she dies while she is working for Rebecca. So Rebecca <clears throat> adopts Priscilla's child. And so it is about a lot about Rebecca's privilege, how she handles her relationship with Priscilla's daughter, who is a little bit prickly about what has happened. You know, this woman adopting her mother's child, but she also realizes that she d- doesn't have the resources to raise her brother. And it's all about the dynamics between these women, the choices that Rebecca made, like uh, whether she should have stepped in, how is she overstepping, in which ways is she kind of ignorant of the decision she's making and what harm that they possibly cause. I really liked her relationship, you know, the kind of combative relationship that she has with Priscilla's daughter, because she's like the only one who basically is willing to have honest and frank conversations with Rebecca about how she feels. And even though Rebecca is well-meaning, kind of makes her think about that. So in this title, I would say that, you know, it's very, it's a very pointed remark about the type of woman that, you know, Rebecca Stone is, whether she wants to be that type of mother, whether she, you know, is, um, is able to change, I think, is the exploration that the novel takes on. But it's just like, also just kind of like a really pointed title. Yeah. I think it is a pretty... (laughs) It's a jab. Yeah. No, for sure. So what did you have next, Gail? Okay. So my next book is Mrs. Fletcher by Tom Parada. And this is a book about a woman who, she's a 46-year-old divorced mom, and her son is going off to college, and she kind of 
discovers like the world of online porn (laughs) and, you know, this kind of whole like life out there of people getting involved romantically and sexually and her kind of like coming out of her like single mother stupor and like rediscovering all of it. This is not my favorite Tom Parada book. Um, I liked other ones better, like The Leftovers and, you know, some of his other books that I think are more, a little more substantive, but this was a fun read. And it, um, I don't know, it's just like, it's kind of of the time. It came out in 2017 and it came out when like Transparent was really popular on TV and Caitlyn Jenner had transitioned. And I think this was like a big topic on people's mind. And, you know, he clearly has a message here, which is that like, you know, all different types of attraction is fine and there, you know, that can be fulfilling and acceptable and wonderful. It's kind of what the book is about. So it's, it's a fun read. It's, you know, again, not my favorite of her, of his, but it, I thought it was um, still a good read. So the cover is a woman in bed with her phone watching, scrolling through her phone and you, but you can see enough. And it's also, um, a drawing. It's not a, you know, it's like a cartoon as opposed to like a realistic drawing, but, um, you can see her face a little bit. So I like that. It's gives her a little bit more personality from the get go. (laughs) (laughs) Random woman scrolling her phone. Yeah. So it could be any of us. Okay, so my next book is The Death of Mrs. Westaway by Ruth Ware. I really like Ruth Ware books. I have a couple more that I have to finish in order to finish them all. And I think she tends to have one that comes out once a year. So I think she's going to have another one coming out this summer. I have to check that out, but uh, I'm a little behind. But I really like The Death of Mrs. Westaway. I think I've read about three of her books so far. So this one, it kind of has a had a kooky setup that I didn't know if I would like just because I tend to not like weird, <laughs> I tend to not like weird jobs. It's terrible. But this woman is a fortune teller. Um, she got that gift from her mother, like, but they learn to read people. Like she's very adept at reading little things and kind of spinning it into some kind of reading that is entertaining for her customers and her clients or just right enough to keep them, to keep them going. So, but she is always behind in terms of her payments for the little booth. Her mother died, you know, they've had very little money all of her life. So then she gets this letter, you know, back when it's, apparent that these debt collectors are starting to like make themselves known in her life in ways that are going to increasingly become unpleasant. So this letter arrives. It says that she is going to, that she is receiving an inheritance. And Hal knows pretty much right away that this is not, you know, they're not looking for her. Like they have got the wrong name somehow, but she really needs this money. And she only wants to take enough to kind of just settle up. It would be an amount that just, you know, is inconsequential to this family. So the whole book is about how she 
has to think on her feet. She goes to see this family to spend the weekend to attend the funeral, Mrs. Westaway, and see if she can get enough money to just kind of like put her on the right side of her bills and carry on with her life. So it's all about um, that weekend and what happens in that weekend. Like, is she successful? Is suspenseful in the point where you just never know if she's going to give herself away? Like, what are the explanations that she will come up with? So this is one of the titles where women are referred to by a title, but they're not present in the book. But it's like, you know, Mrs. Westaway is a consequential woman, I guess, in the fact that her death affects so many people. Because, of course, there are other people who want to get their hands on this inheritance, are suspicious of, like, this long-lost granddaughter showing up. And there's definitely some twists and turns along the way um, when you see what shakes out by the end of this novel. That's an author that you have mentioned a lot. I know you really like her. Yeah, I've read, uh, I've read The Lion Game, which I liked. I read The Death of Mrs. Westway. Her most recent one that came out in 2020 was One by One, and I liked that one. I think the one that I liked the least was probably uh, Turn of Turn of the Key. I'm just like quickly looking through the ratings and it looks like that one was the highest rated of her books. Like her books are all like 3.54, 3.77 on Goodreads. So they're, you know, I guess pretty highly, that's a pretty high rating. Uh, Turning of the Key got the best one and it's it's sort of like a retelling of the Henry James classic Turn of the Screw. Uh, I don't know. I didn't love it. I think that was the weakest one for me. So now I just have to finish The Woman in Cabin 10 and In a Dark Wood. And I think I will have finished them all. Mm, Earthware completist. Yeah. Maybe she'll give me some time to finish up those because it doesn't look like she has a book coming out this year. Okay. So my next book is an old one. This is 13. Well, I read it 13 years ago. I'm not sure when it came out. It's called Mrs. Kimball. And it's by one of my favorite authors, Jennifer Haig. And this is about a man who marries three different women over the course of his life. And he's this kind of mysterious withholding man. He's very um, mercurial and he can be a chameleon. He can sort of mold himself to be whoever he needs to be to fit the situation. And he ends up marrying three different women, all of whom become Mrs. Kimball. Um, although they do have names, Birdie, Joan, and Dina. And it's really just about how he finds these women who are kind of vulnerable and missing something in their life and kind of emotionally damaged and how he preys on them and you know, makes them fall for him and then ultimately leaves them. I love Jennifer Haig. I love her writing. It's spare and it's it's just perfect. I just really, really enjoy her writing style. And this was the first, no, this was actually the second of hers that I read. I think I had read The Condition before I read this one. But this was just a book that I, I really, really enjoyed. And I like that 
you understand who these women are, why they fell for him. And you really get to, you know, even if they don't always make the right decisions, you understand why they do what they do. Jennifer Haig. Um, She hasn't had a book out in a while either. No, I was just thinking that also. So one that I mentioned recently that I really liked was The Talented Miss Farwell. And as I was thinking about books like, you know, I don't know, we, the the women and the girl books really stick out for us and to we skew heavily towards books by female authors. Like I think every year, less than 20% of the books that we read are by men. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if we were looking for those titles more and maybe our listeners can let us know like um, in the Facebook group or just tag me in a post on Instagram if there are books with like Mr. in it. Because I thought of one, which was by Catherine Stedman called Mr. Nobody. I didn't read that one. I read another of her books. But I think it was like In the Water that I really liked. But Mr. Nobody is about a guy, so it didn't appeal to me as much. So, but I'm still going to go back. I'm going to read that. Um, And so this next book that I'm about to talk about, The Talented Miss Farwell, which I read earlier in the year and really loved, uh, is inspired by the Patricia Highsmith book, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which, you know, is a book that I guess he's kind of singular in his ability to lie and get away with things. So that's why she called it, you know, him, the talented Mr. Ripley. And this book is, the title is a takeoff on that. So that's like one of the few books that I can think about. Um, There was also this other, this one book that I read called The Man in the Rockefeller Suit, which is about the guy who was impersonating a Rockefeller, like married this wealthy woman and seems like he had a body count behind him. Like he had run into other people whose lives he was taking over and, you know, he would kill them, take their stuff and kind of move on. And it took them years to catch him. So another book where, well, I guess he's the man in the Rockefeller suit well, that's a man title. I'm like thinking aloud now and riffing on this. But another one where some a man has like cre- uh, been responsible in a singular way for like a crime or something. Those are the ones that I think the titles where there's a mister or a man involved. But normally it seems like men just, you know, either the book is about, we'll have like, the man's last name as a title, or they just get to come up with whatever creative title they want. So anyway, The Talented Miss Farwell um, by Emily Tedro is her name. And it is about this woman who her father dies. And she, this is like back in the eighties where you could from high school, go right into working. So she eventually works her way up and she becomes the town's controller. But you realize that she has been siphoning money from this town, which is increasingly like they don't have money for the roads. They don't have money for festivals that they would normally have for the town. The town is really suffering, but she has been siphoning off money 
to fund an art. Um, she like really loves art. She's like funding this big art, sort of art gallery that she has in her barn. And she's like very successful in selling pieces. And, you know, she always plans to put it back. But it's just all about how what she does affects this town, her relationship with her friends, and, you know, what finally brings her down. So even though it doesn't have a lot to do, I mean, she doesn't murder anyone like the talented Mr. Ripley, but this author liked Patricia Highsmith and gifted her book and this this heroine with that um with that title. I really like that book. <laughs> I mean, it's too it's detailed about like I think I liked it so much just because it is in terms of being set here, it's set in like small town Chicago and you're really getting to see what life was like in the eighties and nineties, like what the politics were at the time, what clothing people wore. So there was a lot of stuff like that that interested me, but it also does really do a good job of just diving into the psychology of someone who could do this. Like how do you justify, you know, like making the town that you live in suffer like this, like year after year, just telling them there's, there's no money for things and not getting caught. Uh, this was based on a real life story, like, but the woman in that story, not in that story, that woman in real life, her th- big thing was like horses, horse racing and collecting horses. And like the town got its revenge on her by just like auctioning off all of her stuff after they found out what she'd been doing. I guess apparently she was, even though she got away with it for a long time, she was like really sloppy and creating her invoices and what she was doing. But Hmm. Bernie Madoff type people. Yep. All right. So my last book is another old one. It is American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. This is the reimagining of Laura Bush and her life, um, which is, it's actually not, her name is not Laura Bush in the book. So unlike um, her Rodham, which is intent, you know, very specifically intended to be about Hillary Clinton. This one, um, it is Laura Bush, but she has a different name and some of the details and, you know, few facts have been changed, but it's definitely about, I did. Okay. Did you like it? I did. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I mean, it was, I had issues with it because I feel like with Rodham, she, you know, she made her like, I mean, it's a Curtis Sittenfeld book. So there's lots of like, you know, longing and sex in it and stuff. And I was like, I was going to say that the description of having to like endure sex scenes between Bill and Hillary Clinton was just like, what turned me off? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it's in the book, she doesn't marry Bill. Right. I know. Yeah. It's kind of like that alternate what her the life would have life, been, right? Could have resisted her life had been like marrying yeah. him. I, I, yes, I really liked it. I mean, I'll read anything that Curtis Sittenfeld writes. Um, I, I did like American Wife more. American Wife was very substantive and detailed, and I, it just, you know, I thought it would be boring for some reason. I just was like, oh, Laura Bush, like, why do I care? But she makes you really care, and she makes you interested, and you delve into this woman's mind and see what she's like, and. I, I just really enjoyed it. It also has a beautiful cover of this like wedding dress. <laughs> I really like I really like the cover of that book. But you don't see the face. Interesting. Never see that face. 
never see it. So, so those are my books. Do you have any more? Conclusion? No, I think I kicked it off. So I think I, um, okay. Talented Miss Farwell was my last book. So do you have any last thoughts now that we've gone through all of these books with girl women in the title? I think I yeah. get the sense that we both think that they've evolved. A yeah, they've bit. evolved. Either that yeah, or although we, some of we my are just books... not picking the outrageously thrillery ones. Right. I guess I would say don't dismiss any book with girl misses, you know, uh, mother in it because there are some gems and I think that the ones that we like the most are the ones where the author kind of takes that idea of agency and explores it rather than um, just simply accepting no agency as the the way it is. And uh, yeah, I was really surprised to see as I went through the list of books that I'd read with these titles, how many of them I actually really liked. Well... Really quickly, because we have just been talking away this Sunday morning, I wanted to, like, I had a bunch of books that I had gone through when I was doing research on this. Uh, So I'm just going to really quickly mention some of the titles of books that have probably come out in the last year or are coming out soon um, that were on my list. And I know you read The Bride Test, right? No, no, I did not read The Bride Test. I read um, The Kiss Quotient. Okay. Same author. So, right, on my list, I had Woman 99, The Bride Test, The Tenth Muse, uh, The Glass Woman, My Mother's House, All Girls, Dear Miss Metropolitan, The Charmed Wife, uh, The Girl from Widow Hills, Conjure Women, which I think is on my shelf, The Maidens by Alex Michalides. And I really liked his book, The Last Patient. So this is coming out soon. I think I pre-ordered it, so I'll be getting it. Uh, The Echo Wife, The Girls Are Also Nice Here, Black Widows, Yellow Wife, Girl A, Daughter of Black Lake, Watch Her Fall, Firekeeper's Daughter, Then She Was Gone, which I think I actually talked about in this show, The Vixen by Francine Prose. Um, so there's a bunch of them. The Other Black Girl. Oh, The Other Black Girl. I really want to read that. Is that out yet? Yeah. No. I think it's uh, beginning June. of June. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, trying to get my hands on that one for a while. The Next Wife by Cara Ruda. And The Last Wife <laughs> by Nicola Marsh. The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes and Girl Gone Mad. So... Plenty of girls, wives, widows. <laughs> yes. Just anything you could think of. Um, some of them are, are on my list. So look forward to adding to this and maybe revisiting this topic in another couple of years. Yes, definitely. And on that note, Gail, take us out. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.